So I want to begin by telling you about a lady that I know. She is really quite different than I am. She comes from a different ethnic background. Her social background is different. Our personalities probably couldn't be more different. And we spent years, about 10 years, in the same church. And we interacted with each other every Sunday, but we weren't close. We, we got on, but we didn't really speak in the week. It was a kind of a Sunday relationship. And in churches often in the UK, the language we've used for that is fellowship. The word fellowship is actually a really interesting one because it appears in our text today. It's slightly hidden because in the version you have there, it appears as partnership. Partnership, fellowship, these are all valid translations for this word, koinonia in the Greek. And koinonia, that word there in verse 5, is what I want to focus on today. Now, by way of background briefly, we've sort of heard a little bit already with the demonstration at the beginning of the service. This letter is written by Paul. Paul is in prison, probably in Rome, possibly actually in a prison or possibly under house arrest. We're not quite sure. And he's writing to a church in Philippi that he has established something between 10 and 15 years earlier based on the dates as we think the timing of the letter, this particular letter when that was written and when we think the church was established. So it's maybe 10, 15 years old, this church. And Paul had arrived in Philippi. He'd connected with a rich lady who was not actually a Philippian, but lived in Philippi and did her business in Philippi, a lady called Lydia. And through Lydia, he began to connect with others and a church began to be established there. He also spent a night in jail in Philippi. Um, And you can read more about that if you want to in Acts 16. I'd really recommend you do that this week, next week, whenever, as we go through this series to get a bit of historical background to what was the context of this church in Philippi. And in our text today, Paul begins with a typical letter-writing introduction. That's not really what I want to focus on, but what I want to draw your attention to is how much joy he gets in remembering the Philippians. If you don't have your Bible open, do open it, because I'm going to refer to verse numbers. So in verse 4, he says, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Partnership here, this is that koinonia word. Because of your fellowship in the gospel. And as I've said, churches speak a lot about fellowship, right? We want to use that word to emphasize believers being in relationship together, believers moving in the same direction here in partnering together in the work of the gospel. And so fellowship in church often means spending time with people over food or over coffee after the service. It might mean weekly fellowship meetings. A lot of churches refer to having weekly fellowship meetings. Here we talk about small groups midweek, but the idea is basically the same. And the way that we've tended in the church to use the language of fellowship is to emphasize this idea of intentionality about time together. But in a lot of churches, in a lot of places, we haven't necessarily used fellowship to mean that we have to like each other. 
nor indeed have we used fellowship to suggest that we need to get our lives entangled with the lives of the people that we sit next to on a Sunday. And frankly, that is how it was between this lady that I described to you at the beginning and me. We did Christian fellowship in that dilute kind of way we do so well in the West. And yet when I look at this word here in this text, and when I read what Paul has to say to the Philippians, I'm left thinking that koinonia must be something more than I have known. Koinonia here is described in verses 7 and 8 in quite a lot of detail. So I think we need to look at 7 and 8 to understand what really is this koinonia thing as far as Paul is concerned. And let me read it for you. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So there in verse 7, he talks about having the Philippians in his heart. Now, the heart for that um, Greco-Roman context was the center and core of the being. What he's saying is, Philippians, I have you here. You are core to who I am. The heart was the center of thinking. It was the center of feeling. It was also the center of volition, the center of the will. It was the very core of the being. So Paul is saying to the Philippians, you guys are here. You are at the very core of my life. And then in verse 8, he says, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus. That word longing is a strong desire. It's a yearning, almost actually with a sense of need. So Paul is saying to these Philippians, I long for you. I yearn for you. I need you in my life. And I yearn for you. To what degree? To the degree of all of the affection of Jesus. Affection here is a, quite a strong word in many ways in English, but in the Greek here, it's even stronger. The word for affection comes from a word for the bowels. Now, in modern English, that does not translate, but in English, historically, we have this understanding of depth of emotion coming from that place deep within, and that's what the Greeks use that word for, is to describe a place that is the absolute seat of the emotion. Sometimes it's translated a word, uh, in words that have to do with deep, deep compassion. Here, it's a sense of deep, deep affection. Paul loves these guys. Paul longs for them. He's apart from them. He's been apart from them for 10 or 15 years, and he longs to be reunited with them. Now, whatever that looks like, whatever that is, I rather suspect, having been in church for nearly 20 years of my life now, um, it's a bit different than just that you and I work side by side for the gospel. That's part of it. But it's something more than just spending an hour together once a week, twice a week, depending whether or not you do small groups. First and foremost, koinonia, when we read verses 7 and 8, means joyful affection for the other. It's a love that is personal. It's a love that is interested. It's a love that cares. It's a love that even actually likes the other. And that if it doesn't like the other, it's willing to learn to like the other. It is genuine 
affection. But it isn't just all feelings. When Paul says in verse 7 that he holds them in his heart, that is not just feelings. As I said, the heart is the core of the being. It's the place of feelings, but it's also the place of thinking, and it is the place of the will. Koinonia actually here then has a sense of active involvement with another for their good. It's not just feeling for them. It is not just affection. It is something active that gets involved. And we see that even more clearly when we take this phrase, holding you in my heart, and see where else Paul uses it. And he uses it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 3. And when he uses it there, he links it with the idea that he holds them in his heart, this is the Corinthians this time, to live with them or to die with them. This is not just an affectionate love that kind of stands over here and goes, yeah, I'm not getting involved in your problems. This is a love that will live with someone, but also will die with and for them. Not unlike what Jesus has presented, of course, in John 15, that greater love hath no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about when he talks about making room in his heart for his, uh, for his friends, his Philippian friends. So Paul thinks about it not just then as joyful affection. Koinonia, in Paul's mind, is also active involvement with the other for their good. Partnership in the gospel, koinonia in the gospel that he talks about here in this passage has looked like something for the last 10 to 15 years. In Paul's life, for the Philippians, what it's looked like is faithful prayer. He says, I pray for all of you all the time with joy. He's been keeping that up for 10 or 15 years with minimal contact with them. He's been faithful in praying and believing for them. He cares enough to send a letter. He is committed to the Philippians even at the very beginning before he hardly knew them. He was willing to go to jail for a night for the sake of establishing the gospel amongst them and establishing a church amongst them. Paul has been actively involved with the Philippians for their good and for the sake of the gospel. And it's not been one way. This is the thing about koinonia. It's not one way. It's mutual. And with the Philippians, what we see is that they have responded in kind. They have supported Paul financially. We hear about that later in the letter. Chapter 4 talks about it, so we'll get there in a few weeks. They have sent money to support Paul's work. They have not left Paul to struggle by himself. What's more, they have sent one of their best people, a man called Epaphroditus, to go and help Paul. And in fact, Paul says later in the letter, uh, chapter 2 I think it is, again we're going to get there, I don't want to do all the spoilers now, Epaphroditus has worked so hard for Paul that he nearly died. Koinonia then means active involvement with the other for their good. So if koinonia means these two things, joyful affection and active involvement with the other for their good and for the sake of the gospel, how is that even possible? You might just be in church today looking around and going, 
I don't get how I'm supposed to feel joyful affection for the people next to me. I don't get how I'm supposed to be actively involved in their lives for their good. That's just too much, Chloe. That's not possible. You know what? Humanly, it's not possible. We can have a good go, but it's really, really hard. But again, in verses 7 and 8, Paul is really clear. It is possible only because of Jesus. So he says in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Why? Because all of you share in God's grace with me. And in fact, that gut-wrenching affection that we talked about is actually an affection that is rooted first in Jesus. And so Paul knows that what enables koinonia, fellowship, partnership, however you want to translate it, what enables koinonia to be genuine friendship, genuine affection, genuine desire to bless the other, what enables that, especially after 10 or 15 years of separation, is in fact that Paul and the Philippians have together continued to receive the grace of of God in Jesus. Paul knows that it is God who starts this thing off. He knows that they can be each other's friends. They can learn to like each other, even when there's a lot of differences, social differences perhaps, political differences, ethnic differences, cultural differences. He thinks he can still learn to like the Philippians and they can learn to like him. They can be genuine friends. They can be involved in each other's lives, living together, dying together, to use the Corinthians language. Because first of all, they are all friends of Jesus. It is because Paul is a friend of Jesus that he is able to love others. It is because the Philippians are friends of Jesus that they are able to love others. And so Paul says in verse 8 about the affection being the affection of Jesus. The affection with which he loves them is the affection of Jesus. It's almost like a drip down effect that Jesus loves him and Jesus loves the Philippians and Paul just gets to participate in that dynamic. That's what enables this thing. That's what makes it possible for you and me to get beyond the kind of fellowship dynamic I talked about earlier, somewhat sarcastically, to something deeper that I think is truer to the essence of koinonia. It's because ultimately for you and for me, this is about a participation in Jesus and in his love for each one of us. It's worth saying also that when Paul says in seven, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, that the word that we've translated feel is a really, really difficult word to translate. I think the closest we can get is probably that um, the word has to do with having a mindset. So it involves feeling, but it also involves thinking, and it involves will. What Paul, I think, has done with the Philippians is chosen to feel this way about them all. And he has experienced, I think, in choosing to feel this way about them all, choosing to lean into the love that Jesus has for them and to participate in that. I think out of that has come genuine feeling and affection. But first of all, it has been a mindset for Paul, a decision to embrace this affection for the Philippians 
um, to, to embrace that affection in Jesus, trusting that feelings and thoughts will follow, even if they're not present at first. So I come back now to the relationship that I described at the beginning of my preach. This lady and I had that kind of churchy fellowship thing going on. Um, we really did not have koinonia in the way that Paul described it. Or if we did, it was only quite a dilute version. But over time, this lady and I started to spend more time together and we chose to be vulnerable with each other. And that wasn't always easy. We prayed together and we believed the best of one another despite our differences. And trust me, there were a ton of differences. And yet as we embraced those differences and looked for common ground, we found more and more common ground together in Jesus. And as a result, the differences became, I think, less problematic, less irritating, less awkward, less confusing, and actually became something for us to celebrate and enjoy. I love that she's different in this way and this way and this way now. And I think that uh, she would describe the same of me. I would say what happened is that she and I became actual friends. Now, I only see her every few months now, but I do experience what I've described of koinonia with her. I do experience a deep, joyful affection in relation to her. And I do also continue to want to be as intentional as I can be about seeking her good about longing to be involved in her life enough to bless her and through our relationship together to bless others in the gospel. I have seen change in a relationship that, to be honest, I you know, didn't hold out much hope for seeing that kind of growth in. And I am utterly convinced that, as Paul said, all of that has been possible because of our relationship in Jesus first. Here's the thing, guys. I would love to see more of this here amongst us. And you, you have to hear me, I am preaching to myself probably more than I am to anyone else, but you can get the overflow of what I'm preaching to me and if it applies to you, please, please hear it. I would love to see us step it up in terms of true koinonia. And I'm going to be as bold as to substitute a word for koinonia. I'm going to suggest we talk about friendship. Because we know what friendship is. And I know it's hard, right? I've lived in London for 18 years. I know what London life is like. It's busy. It's exhausting. It's stressful. You're working hard. There's family commitments. You're trying to keep on top of all the things the children are doing in all different directions, taking them here, there, and everywhere. If you're commuting, you feel like you spend a significant percentage of your life sitting on the tube or the bus or on the train. And it's really, really difficult, I know, to find time, or if not time, energy. I know that we find ourselves in church with people we just wouldn't choose, let's be honest. Sometimes people we don't even like. That's often the case in a congregation of this kind of size. There will be one or two people that you just really can't quite find a way to like. You don't know them well enough, they irritate you, whatever it is. Let's be honest about that, because if we can't be honest in the church, we can't get serious about this friendship thing. 
I know that joyful affection for others is difficult, especially when we don't feel it. And I know that because of time and energy, active involvement with another for their good is difficult. But here's the thing. For Jesus' followers, I don't think koinonia, friendship, is a choice. I think it's something we've got to do. I think love is learning to like the other. And that's okay, you know, that, that you have to learn to like another. That's all right. We don't naturally like each other, all of us, all the time. That's fine. But the call is to learn to like one another. The call is to learn to find that affection, like Paul did, to choose the mindset of affection towards one another, to choose a mindset of active involvement in each other's lives for one another's good and for the good of the gospel, because ultimately, as verse 5 says, this koinonia is in the gospel. I know that it is challenging. I know that it is hard. I speak this to myself as much as to any of us. I think that looking active, look, being actively involved in one another's lives means more than just Sunday morning, and it means more than just midweek group, actually. And here's the thing. We cannot do this with everybody in this room, let alone everyone who is in some way part of CCW4. That's the nature of finitude. We are finite people. We cannot sustain hundreds of relationships. But here's the question, and this is the question with which I'm going to leave us. What if every single one of us in here could each get serious about koinonia? What if we, each of us, could choose to do serious friendship with one or two, and out of that relationship, that friendship being built, look to bless that one or two, and through that relationship, then eventually to bless others? What if we were to start small, with a view to growing this thing? What if we were to look at this as, okay, I don't have to be friends with everybody, but we together are gonna build this place, this community as a network of friends? So that when outsiders come in, they're brought into a network of friendship. They're brought into a network of genuine relationship. Not the churchy relationship that I have with this, this girl who is now my friend, but at the start wasn't. What if we brought people into real and genuine friendships? But to do that, friends, we have to do it ourselves. What if we could? What if each of us made a small decision today to build relationship with one or two people here? I'm going to pray for us, but before I pray, I'm going to leave just 30 seconds of silence. And in that silence, what I'd like you to do is ask the Lord, is there somebody in this congregation, CCW4 as a whole, because we are, after all, one church, is there one, maybe two people, Lord, that you want me to be more intentional about seeking to build friendship with? So let's take 30 seconds of silence to ask that. Is there one or two people, Lord, to build friendship with?
And so, Lord, with Paul, we pray that our love may abound more and more. And that we might know more fully what is the affection of Jesus for us and also for those with whom we relate here in this church. Lord, we know that you are a God who in Christ has offered us friendship. And so we pray for strength and for wisdom to know how to follow in your footsteps and to offer friendship in concrete ways to people in this congregation. Lord, for their sake, but also for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others who are not even yet part of this community. Lord, please help us to do this. Please help this not just to be a nice message on Philippians 1, but actually something we take on board and something we respond to. And we ask it in your name, Lord. Amen.